Acts chapter 6 as we begin. And then find also 1 Timothy chapter 3. As these are parallel passages, one giving more information, or added information, I guess we should say, to the other. 1 Timothy chapter 6, and beginning at verse 1, the Bible says, In those days when the number of the disciples were multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It's not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and of wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. We will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Procurius, Nicanor, and Timon, Parmenaeus, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. When they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. And the word of God increased, and the number of disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. 1 Timothy 3. Verse 1, this is a true saying, if a man desire the office of a bishop, that's another word for pastor, he desireth a good work. A bishop must be blameless, husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach. Not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous. One that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For man know not how to rule his own house, how she take care of the church of God. Not a novice, lest he be lifted up with pride, he fall in the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he has to have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall in reproach and snare of the devil. Likewise must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. Let these also first be proved, then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. Even so must their wives be grave, not slanders, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. For they that have used the office of a deacon well purchase themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. So tonight, since we do have an election, we are going to be voting on deacons. As I said, Sunday afternoon. And we're going to be looking at the choosing of deacons. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity we have to open your word. We thank you that we have all things that pertains to the life and godliness through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue. And so, Father, we pray as we look at the word of God tonight and consider this topic. I pray that you'd help us to understand the office, the purpose of deacons, and uh, the responsibility of uh, just, just encourage our hearts and challenge us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it's often been said that it is true that, you know, 1 Timothy 3 is qualifications for pastor and deacons. But beyond that, it should be something that every Christian strives for. Uh, you know, Pastor Mitchell has often said that his brother, who is the 
I think the head deacon at Midcoast now, says that every man should either be a pastor or a pastor's helper. Every Christian man should either consider be a pastor or a pastor's helper. And so these qualifications or these standards, these biblical standards, and that's what they are, they're just biblical standards, are something that what we all ought to strive for. Uh, men as women, not that the, men, the women can be pastors or deacons, but if a, if a man is going to be a deacon, his house has to be in order. If a man is going to be a pastor, his house has to be in order, which, which speaks of the wife and children. So, so as we think about this tonight, we notice, first of all, the qualifications for deacon. If we look at Acts chapter 6, there's a couple of things I want to notice here. In verse 3, the first thing is men. Men. That is a qualification. Men, not women. We don't find women deaconesses. We don't find deaconesses in the Bible. There were women that ministered, but they were not called deaconess. You know, there are some churches today that have women deacons, deaconesses, they call them. Anyway, wherefore, verse 3, Brethren, look ye out seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom may appoint over this business. Well, you might say, people would say, well, that's just, you know, the Bible uses the word men sometimes just to mean everyone. Well, that's why we have 1 Timothy chapter 3. Because it says um, that the deacons be the husbands of one wife. So, and of course it goes on and says in that passage, I should the bookmark there. First uh, Timothy three verses eleven and twelve. Um, Even so must their wives be grave, not slanders, sober, faithful in all things. So that let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. So again, of course, this is this uh, another qualification we could we could clarify. There is men not divorced or remarried, and of course that goes along with a, a bishop too. Verse two says a bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife. And um, now, if one has died, he's it's it's you know scripturally he can remarry and continue pastor. Um, you know, Ron Williams was just here; his first wife died, and he's remarried. But it's not talking about that. It's talking about divorce, remarriage, as long as they're still living. So, so men, not divorce, remarriage. Second thing we see here in Acts chapter 6 is men of honest report. Honest report. Um, this, this means to be well reported of, accredited, or attested, or of good reprove, or a good uh, report, um, or approved. First uh, Timothy Three speaks of this also in verse seven. It says, "Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into into a snare, into reproach, and the snare of the devil." And then again in verse ten, let these also first be proved, and then let them use the office of deacon, being found blameless. So, so you know he uses a word here uh, again: good report or honest report. Uh, he's to be proven, 
That means tested, uh, you know, time. You know, the Bible uses the word uh, novice in verse 6, considering a pastor, not a novice. That's, that's a, a new Christian, uh, somebody that has, you know, is just newly saved, uh, doesn't have experience. So these are these are uh, you know this this you know to be a deacon wants to have honest an honest reputation, a reputation of honesty, and upright character. Uh, they're also to be spirit-filled men. If you notice again in verse three of Acts chapter six, it says, "Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and of wisdom." So there be spirit-filled men. That means the word "full" there simply means thoroughly permeated. So we want men that are thoroughly permeated with the Word of God to serve in the Lord's church. Uh, that's what it means to be spirit-led, or spirit. We might say spirit-directed, or or full of the Spirit. You know, Ephesians five eighteen says. Be not drunk with wine where there's excess, but be filled with the Spirit. You know, if you're, if you're filled with wine to excess, it controls you. It leads you. You become its servant. Uh, but where would he be filled with or full or led or controlled by the Spirit? And that's the kind of men that God says should be chosen to be deacons. Uh, it says, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart with the Lord. Again, it's a picture of a, of a man, who, or, or this could be a woman. Again, she couldn't be a deacon, but you know, it's, it's good to have spirit-filled women. But it's, it's a picture of people who are permeated with the Word of God. They've, they've meditated. They've, they've studied it. They've meditated upon it. They understand it. And, a comply, and of course, can apply it to life. So, so that, that's, the, that's the picture there. Colossians 3 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonish one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to the Lord. So these are to be spirit-filled men, thoroughly permanent, have understanding of the word of God and be directed by it. It's not enough just to have knowledge. No, they have to be submitted to it. They have to be willing to do it. Not just hear it, but also to do it. That's what it means to be spirit-filled. It's not, it's not a matter of, I have all this knowledge, but am I submitted to it? Am I doing it? That's a spirit-filled man or a woman. The fourth thing we see here is, he says today we're to be men of wisdom. Wherefore, brethren, verse 3, look ye out, men, among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. Wisdom. Now, the word wisdom really means skill in the management of affairs. Of affairs. Uh, the Bible usage in online Bible said this, quote, Wisdom broad and full of intelligence, used of the knowledge of very diverse matters. Skill in discretion and departing Christian truth. The knowledge and practice for the requisites for godly and upright living. Unquote. So, so the idea here is, here's a man that has wisdom or practical knowledge concerning many things. He, 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 just knows, he, he just knows how to put the Bible into life. How to live it. How to live biblical principles. 
you know, it's one thing Caleb started working at Pete Smith's. It's one thing to work in a garage. It's another thing to be a mechanic. To know what to do with the wrenches and the tools. You know, you could have all the tools. But if you don't know how to use them, they're of no value. So we, we have, we, and what he's saying here, these men of wisdom, he said that we may appoint over this business. So he wanted, they wanted men that had skill in the management of the affairs of life. Uh, you know, this was one of the things Solomon asked for when he had an open invitation for anything he wanted. He didn't say, I want money. I want a nice house. You know, some would say today, I want money, I want a nice house, and I want a nice car. Et cetera, et cetera. Oh, it would be nice to have all those things. But they're all things of the world. They're really not of any value eternally. And you could have all these things and be the, you know, complete jerk. No. No, what does Solomon ask for? You know, you can have all those things for yourself. It's really just selfish things. No, Solomon asks for wisdom. See, wisdom gives you knowledge in how to govern and direct all the affairs of life in a way that pleases God and is in benefit to others. That's what wisdom does. It's, I, I, I call it practical knowledge. In other words, being able to put into practice the knowledge you have in life. And so, he said, these, these mean to be men of wisdom. Know how, you know, and we're talking about, you know, men here that, that, who are serving in the church there at Jerusalem, the first church of Jerusalem. And, and so, they're spiritually, spiritually minded men that know how to live in a way that pleases and honors God and apply that to everyday life. I'll go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. We see several other things. I'm not going to look at all these for sake of time, but a, f- a fifth thing we see here is not a lover of money. 1 Timothy 3.8 says, Likewise, must the deacons be graved, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre. Now, so greedy of filthy lucre just simply means a lover of money. And, of course, Paul in this the book warns about the love of money in chapter 6. In verse 6, he says, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish, hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. Now, let me point out something here. It says, But they that will be rich... It doesn't say they that are rich. Did you ever think about that? Just because a person's rich doesn't mean he loves money. You know, I was reading a book, and I would encourage you to read it. It's called Rich Dad, Poor Dad, or Poor Dad, Rich Dad. I'm not sure which the way the title goes. But anyway, and this guy pointed out that lots of poor people love money. Because that's what they talk about all the time, about what they don't have and what they want. He said, rich people I've been around, they don't often talk about money. 
It's not something they talk about all the time. No. You see, you don't have to be rich to, to love money. It says, they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare. That's, so that's the desire. That's what they want. And, and, and a snare, and in many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which will some covet after they have erred from the faith. See, if you love money, it's going gonna, it's gonna to draw you away from the faith. It's going to lead you into error. Because it, it will consume you. It will overtake you. It will lead you into places you don't want to go. You need to seek ye first him God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. You know, I've had my own business. Well, one of my policies was we quit in time to get to church. I don't care if it was Thursday night, what day of the week it was, whatever. If we had meetings, we quit in time. You know, well, I just got to get this done. No, the Lord will take care of you if you just give the Lord the priority. Now, there was times that cost me money. But it needs to be a priority. The Lord needs to be the priority, not money. Now, it's interesting to me that they appointed seven. Now, of course, the church was very large, so maybe they needed that. But I think there's another reason here I think we ought to point out. And that's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I want to, want to point this out, which I think is a, is a, uh, um, a good practice. 2, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. You know, you might say, well, well, I trust the treasure. I do trust our treasure. But I also know he's human. I also know that somebody could accuse. This is why we have some checks and balances in our money counting system and the way we do things. And there's a reason for that. So that, so that one man can't be accused of something and there's no recourse to fall back on because nobody else had access or knew what monies were given. No. You see... Notice in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 18, it says, And we have sent with him the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches, and not that only, but who was also chosen of the churches to travel with us with this grace, which is administered by us to the glory of the same Lord and declaration of our own money. So we're talking about handling money here. It was, it was an offering that was being taken by the churches to send back to Jerusalem because of the dearth that was there at this time. Notice, notice verse 20. Avoiding this, that no man should blame us in this abundance which is administered by us, providing for honest things not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. And we have sent with them other, our brother, whom we have oftentimes proved diligent in many things, but now much more diligent upon the great confidence which I have in you. So whether any do inquire of Titus, he is my partner and fellow helper concerning you, or our brethren be inquired of, they are the messengers of the churches and the glory of Christ. Wherefore, show ye to them and before the churches the proof of your love and of our boasting on your behalf. So he says, you know, we're providing for things honest. This is why I just didn't, Paul's saying, this is why I didn't just come pick up the money. Because I wanted to provide things honest. So there were some brethren traveled with him, particularly Titus, 
and there were others that he mentioned. So there was more than one man went and picked up this money to take to the church of Jerusalem. So there was an accounting of it of more than just one person. It provides protection. You know, I had a treasurer that got upset one time because I wanted to audit the books. And I said, it was a she, she got upset. She was installed before I got there. Anyway, she got upset, and I said to her, you got to understand something. We're doing this for your protection and for your clearance. Not because I think you've done something wrong or have taken anything. I don't believe that, unless it could be proven. But I said, this is for your protection, so nobody can say, oh, you know, oh, accuse. So they appointed seven. And they were not lovers of money. Uh, Number six, abstain from controlling substance. Alcohol, drugs, cigarettes, you name it. 1 Timothy, again, chapter 3, verse 8. Likewise, must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre. Now, the reason why this statement is written the way it is, is, you know, the juice back then, they had a tent, a fermentation for preservation those days, but it was so little it was almost impossible to be overcome by it. Uh, but they were not to drink intoxicating liquors. Alcoholic wine. You know, we would say today, you know, the, the application today would be not to drink alcoholic wine, beer, etc., cigarettes, anything that's, or drugs that are controlling. Paul said, I will, you know, uh, I will not be brought under the power of any. So there's to be abstaining from these substances. Uh, and then, lastly, he's to be there to be honorable men. First Timothy three eight again says, "Likewise, must the deacons be grave, not double tongued." That word "grave" means they're to be revered for honorable character. In other words, there to be men that are that people can look up to and respect because they have a honorable character. And it's interesting, he goes on and says, they're to be grave, not double-tongued. The word double-tongued there means that they say one thing one time and another the next. Or one thing to one person and another to somebody else. That's double-tongued. We used to call it forked tongue. Um, That's not consistent. So, So what we're looking for is men who are consistent. Have honorable character, upright character. So that's the qualifications, just some of the qualifications for deacons. And then secondly, the purpose of deacons. In Acts chapter 6, we see this in Acts chapter 6, verse 1. And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews. Again, understand there's probably 8,000. I think there was... Uh, uh, 3,000 day of Pentecost, and then I think there was another couple thousand added later. So there might be, you know, five to 8,000 people in this church at this time. And so there was a murmuring against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily administration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It's not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. So, uh, 
Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Now, a deacon, the, the, the name or the title deacon means a servant or to be a servant. Now, understand when we're serving, talking about serving tables here, this was not serving food, about serving food and washing dishes like a soap kitchen we would understand today. That's not what we're referring to here. Tables were places where business and money were transacted. Look at John chapter 2 and verse 15 in the Bible. That's what it refers to. John 2 and verse 15. John 2. Let's let's back up to verse 13. And the Jews passed over his hand. Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Finally in the temple, those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them out out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen poured out the changers' money and overthrew the tables. So when we're talking about serving tables here here in Acts chapter 6, again, we're talking about a place of business where business money was transacted. And so this was a daily ministration for the widows, and it was not being distributed properly. Now, this was the church's kind of social security, if you want to call it that, for those who had need. There was no such thing as social security back then. There was no such thing as welfare. We'd be better off without it today. People would actually work for a living. Either that or starve. Um, but anyway, that's beside the point. But but you know, you know, and, and back then the the uh, if you wanted to call it welfare or those who had need, uh, the needs were met by the churches, not a government bureaucracy. There was no such thing. And, and consider this in context with Acts chapter four and verse thirty-two to thirty-seven. Go to Acts chapter four and verse thirty-two, and keep this in context. Context with this, Acts 4 and verse 32 says, And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul, neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. With great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither were any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and bought the prices of the things that were sold, laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of uh, Consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. So, you, again, you, you understand from a Jewish aspect or a Jewish point of view here what's happening when many of these Jews got saved, day of Pentecost and several some time later, to, to be to repent and be baptized into the church at Jerusalem was mean you were cut off from the temple. And also, if if you were if you were had a business, you were probably um, disenfranchised. You know, people quit buying from you if they were still part of the Jewish, you know, sect and all that, and and they, you know, the closest thing I can compare it to is the Amish, you know. Um, 
you know, if you, if you, uh, uh, certain sects of the Amish, if you come out publicly and say that you know that you're saved, you will be put on what they call the ban, and they will not have any business with you. They will have no association with you. Um, you know, and the best thing you can do is pack up and move because it's going to be very difficult to survive. I knew a man, his last name was Shaw. He was a Jewish man in Altoona. When he got saved, his parents had a, went through a mock funeral for him. They disinherited him. So, so that's kind of the things that's happening in Jerusalem. So there's these many people that all of a sudden you are probably out of work, and there's others who, who by the way, the temple uh, had its own uh, way of taking care of widows. So if, if all of a sudden a widow got saved and joined the church, that was no longer available. So, you know, these people that had money or had possessions uh, sold some of it or all of it as Barnabas did and brought it and laid it at the apostles' feet said, here, use this to supply the needs of those who all of a sudden have need. And so that's what they began to do. However, it became a quite a large undertaking and of course there's a a uh, a murmuring because you know there again the Grecians which would be Greek people who become Jewish and now got saved uh, against the Hebrews so there's there's kind of these these little sects of groups of people there in the church as well so there's there's a you know evidently there was some a lack of proper distribution or oversight of this, and was causing some contention. So, therefore, the the the, the pastoral staff said, "Look, we don't want to have to. We don't feel it's our responsibility to oversee this part of the operation of the church. Therefore, they." Make a recommendation to look you out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. So, so this was this was the thing that these the purpose for these deacons. Uh, you know, they would watch over the, the church, and, you know, and, and look for are there people in need in the church. You know, help pastor maintain spiritual interest in the church and people. Is there building repairs? Of course, they didn't have a building at that time, but those things would have come later. Building repairs or changes. See, deacons are servants to the pastor and the church. You know, in our Constitution, uh, concerning deacons, it, it, let me read this to you. It says, first of all, qualifications. The deacons shall be regenerated, baptized, heterosexual males, Having never been divorced, shall meet the scriptural qualifications of the office as set forth in 1 Timothy 3, 8 to 13. Shall have been active members of the church for at least one year. The number of deacons shall be determined by the needs of the church and the number of qualified candidates available. Pastor may require prospective deacons to complete a deacon's training class at his discretion. Election and tenure, the congregation may re- re- recommend qualified prospective of deacons to the pastors and current deacons. And, and this is what they told the people. said, they, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report. So it was the people that chose them, set them before the apostles. Uh, after appropriate examination for qualification and unanimous agreement, the pastors and serving deacons will present a list of nominees at the annual election of officers. 
The congregation will then elect their deacons by secret ballot. Deacons shall be elected for a term of one year and shall be eligible for re-election as long as they meet the qualifications. <laughs> Excuse me. Responsibilities is the duty of the deacons to fulfill the biblical responsibility of removing the burdens of the ministry that prevent the pastor from having, su- from having sufficient time for prayer, study the scriptures, and preaching. It will be the pastor's decision as to which things will be delegated to the deacons. However, the deacons also have the responsibility to approach the pastor in areas of which they can be of help. Deacons will meet monthly as need arises. Pastor serves ahead of this meeting. They are to hear the salvation testimony of our applicants for membership and recommend those to be voted on by the congregation for membership. It is the duty of the deacons to seek out such members of the church who need monetary assistance. So there, again, if, if a person needs financial assistance, it's their responsibility to seek them out and make recommendation for their assistance to the pastor to act as trustees of the church assets, that's going to oversee the building and the financial aspects, to visit the sick and shut in, to seek and earnestly strive to maintain the spiritual interests of the church, faithful in witnessing, to cooperate and assist the pastor in performance of his duties. The deacons will be included in the approval of all employment decisions for officers at Lighthouse Baptist Church. So, so these are the things... This is the purpose for deacons, their servants, to the church and to the pastor. And so all this was done so the pastors could spend their time in prayer and study of the word. Notice verse 4 of Acts chapter 6. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So this, this was how it was done, the first cho- choosing of the deacons, and of course the qualifications were set forth. And, um, and so, you know, um, that is the, the purpose and the qualification for deacons. You know, we have quite a few men in our church who are qualified men for the office of a deacon. And uh, so uh, we are going to have that uh, election tonight uh, for that office, and, and we have several new ones on the ballot. So, so as you think about that and consider it uh, as you're voting tonight, think about the purposes and the qualifications for those who have been chosen uh, to put before you. So let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll have our business meeting. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the time of your word tonight. We thank you for the instruction it gives us, and even concerning this office of deacons. We pray that you'd help us to... Uh, be faithful in following your um, direction and leading in our church and that you would be glorified and that we use wisdom in all things. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen.